put in the, the, the word our Sundays intentionally. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it almost rankles a little bit, though, because we think of Sunday as being the Lord's Day, especially if we're going down this path of wanting to you know, make it a more um, spirit-filled day. But you know what? It is our day. And it's interesting, in, in Exodus, when it was first instituted, God says, I gave the Sabbath to you. And then Jesus, in the, in the um, section we're going to read in a little bit, says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it is ours. Now there's some opportunity to do things with it, but it really is ours. And, and that's an interesting concept, too. I mean, this isn't, a, this isn't some weird, sick test, you know, that, that God laid on the Israelites in Exodus. You know, it really was for them. So, so we want to savor our Sundays and Sundays. You know, Sundays are neat. They're a, they're a day to celebrate. They are the day to celebrate Christ's resurrection. They're a day to celebrate being humans created, you know, by God and part of his creation. And they're a day to celebrate that we're Christians freed by Christ. Um, it's interesting that the Sabbath, as it's presented in Exodus, is not exactly the same as it's presented in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. In Exodus, the reason for the Sabbath that's given is, to, is because God rested on the seventh day of creation. I think that's the one we would, would have picked out in a multiple choice test. I would have. In Deuteronomy, when he presents it, it's presented as a commemoration of the freeing of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And you think about, well, why is that? Well, you think, well, does a slave get to take one day off a week? No. So you get a day off, and that's to remind you that you're not a slave at that point in your life. And I think that's, a, that's sort of a neat thing about this. It's got multiple um, acts of God that are being commemorated on, on that day. A little bit of the history of this is a, little, a short side trail, just, and it's part of this whole mixing of, of the Sabbath with Sunday. Um, you, think, you think about when the when Christ um, arose, and, and you know now that you've got the disciples, and you know what are they doing? How are they worshiping? You know, in that very early time frame. Well, as we read in the New Testament, you know they're still going into the synagogue on Sabbath, so they're still they're still practicing the Sabbath in general, and that's what we have record of. But we also have record of them gathering on the next day to celebrate Christ's resurrection. So they've got two things going on. They've, they're still doing the Sabbath thing, but now they've added this celebration on the next day. Which, interestingly enough, you know, that just shows that things that are obvious remain subtle to those like me who read things over and over again and don't pay attention. But think about it. That means they are celebrating on a work day. Because Sunday was a work day, or the first day of the week, you know, and they're, and they're on a work day. So they're doing their rest thing, then they're going to work, and then they're meeting after work to celebrate. So it's kind of interesting that at the be in, in those early, you know, formative years of the church, you know, it's still got that Jewish character, and they're marking the Sabbath, they're working, and then they're celebrating resurrection on a work day. It's kind of an interesting picture. As time went on, you know, and as the church spread and it kind of became a little bit less Jewish, you know, that Sabbath element started to go away and the Sunday element became more important. 
And we see in documents in 150, 200 A.D. where the meetings of the Christians have now kind of moved to Sundays, and that's the day, that's the, the main thing, and the Sabbath starts to tail. And then in 321, Constantine declared Sundays or day of rest across the Roman Empire. And so from there on, you know, it, it went from there all the way to the blue laws, which were finally, you know, are, are just kind of disappearing from our own books. I mean, you can trace it all the way back. So now we've made that connection. But that you, you can kind of just sort of get the feeling of how this thing sort of morphed over time of having a Sabbath and then and a celebration into a Sunday, which was a celebration and uh, some element of extra rest. So that is my historical background for why we're kind of taking Sabbath elements and applying them to Sundays as we look for ways to maximize our um, our Sunday worship. Now, I won't spend so long on all these slides because I know that everybody's got the timers on. So let's check, to, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay, so... So Sunday worship, God is honored by worship. Um, you know that, That's part of why we come on Sunday mornings, to get together with other Christians and to worship. And our ability to worship is improved when distractions are eliminated. I think we can all buy that. And, and we're, this is what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning is trying to get rid of some of those distractions and keep ourselves on target. And the Sabbath principles that um, help remove distractions um, for, the, for this particular time, you know, so that we can enjoy worshiping God and being part of his creation and being with friends and family. So now I'm going to give you on the next slide here the conclusions. So if, you know, if I lose you along the way to whatever the distractions are, at least you'll have seen the conclusions. So the conclusions are that Sundays are a gift from God and they're meant to be fun. They're meant to be relaxed. They're meant to be God honoring. They're meant to be Eden like. It's very interesting. I had never seen that as a as a descriptor, but in in Sabbath uh, things, that that Sabbath was meant to be a, a reflection back on what the Sabbath or what it was like to live in the Garden of Eden, and it was meant to be a forward-looking shadow of what it would be like after the Messiah came. So it's I mean it, it, it's a neat thing to think about Sundays. That's what it's supposed to be like. I mean, we can get excited about stuff like that. They aren't supposed to be painful days or some sort of, you know, miserable days. This isn't one of those things where God is happy only when we're miserable. Um, there's barriers to experiencing uh, the fun, worshipful, relaxed, Eden-like nature of Sundays. And they, you can break them down, I think, into two categories, legalism and uh, neglect and busyness which feed off of each other. Neglect for the Sabbath and busyness that causes the neglect. And then by applying some common sense, um, some teaching of the ages and listening to, to other elements, we can take away that we can improve our Sundays by relaxing, avoiding worry, and being joyful. All right? Now let's take a look uh, at, at our scripture for this morning. We're going to read the the fourth commandment from Deuteronomy. And then we're going to read together the section in Mark where the disciples are going through the fields and they pick some grain. All right. So why don't you stand and let's read this together. 
Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Amen. Thanks be to God. Yeah, we didn't get that, was it? So what's your reaction? You know, here you've read the the commandment and then you've got Jesus and his disciples going through and, and harvesting a little bit. Not very much, just a little bit. And, uh, you know, the, the, the religious leaders pounce on him and say, oh, hey, you guys are breaking the law here. You know, and, and then Jesus has his has his comeback. So, you know, I don't know. These are some of the responses that, you know, I think one might have. You know, way to, way to get those Pharisees. You know, they need straightening out. I'm glad I don't, I'm not hung up on rules. You know, and I think as we read this, you know, in our day and age, and we're going through this, it, it's easy to just gloss over, you know, and, and miss potential truths. Uh, maybe I'm glad the whole Sabbath thing's part of the old covenant. I don't have to worry about it. I think, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that one, you know, I, I think that you have to be careful with the hole there, but anyway. Um, it is so much more civilized to have trimmed down the burdensome Sabbath from 24 hours to a 90-minute church experience. You know, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't get any amens on that. But anyway, so, you know, that, that's, I think, how we go, and then we move into the next chapter, you know, we just, as we're reading our Bible. Um, just to get a little, not, not to agree with the, uh, with the leaders there, but I think we've got to get give them a little bit of, um, what shall we say, we, we want to understand where they're coming from a little bit. So let's just take a look at, at the Sabbath and what it, was, what it meant um, and how it was being treated at the time of Jesus. So if we look at this, Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease or to rest from working. 
And, and, and it's like an active ceasing. It, it's not just not to be doing anything. It's to have been working and now stop. So it kind of encompasses two things. There's, there's a lot of, as, as you go through the readings on Sabbath, one thing is that there's gratefulness for, the, for work and, and the fact that you can do work, you have work to do, and then you stop. And you think about who you are, you think about who God is, and you thank him for the time to stop. And then you start your work and you do the cycle again. Um, and so it's this, this active rest. In fact, the word for us, for a labor strike in, in modern Jew, Jewish, is it comes from the same base, which is interesting. Um, the Siddur, the Jewish prayer book, lists three purposes for the Sabbath. Um, and we, we've, I've touched on these. One is to commemorate the Israelites' redemption from slavery, to commemorate God's creation of the universe, and to get a taste of the world in messianic times. So, you know, that's where it is. On the next slide, we see some of the reasons why the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were so concerned about this Sabbath. First of all, it is one of the Ten Commandments. They're living with that. That's important. Um, the punishment for messing up on that fourth commandment was death. So clearly God t- took this as an important thing. Um, the Sabbath was a sign of God's covenant with his people. Now, the Talmud, which is written later than Jesus' time, but reflects oral tradition that was probably in place at Jesus' time, um, states that if every Jew would observe two consecutive Sabbaths, the Messiah would come. So now, you know, there's some burden there. You know, if the whole, you know, if we could all get our act together for two consecutive Sabbaths, we can bring in the kingdom. So, you know, now there's this reason I do want my brother to get it right, you know. And if they would all just pull together, you know, this is a team effort. Anyway, that's an interesting thing. If that's in their heads, you know, they're going to be upset when people are messing it up. Now you guys start over next week. Um, the real, the, the terrible thing, I don't know, the, the difficult thing was in, as people worked at trying to figure out what it meant to observe the Sabbath correctly, they created all these rules. Um, because, you know, we read the original one and it doesn't tell you a lot. It just says, you know, don't work and don't have anybody in your household work. Well, you know, who's work? Oh, man, it takes, you know, a lot to define work. So if you look in the, what was I I'm going to get the right one, the, in the Mishnah, that one has um, a whole chapter devoted to behavior on the Sabbath, 24, actually 24 chapters. And um, it's all gets, it gets down into these little tiny things like what's the load? I mean, you can't carry anything because carrying something would be work. All right. So I think you're probably familiar with the weight of a fig is the measurement of whether or not you're carrying something or not. You can carry half a fig, can't carry a fig. You can carry half a fig twice so long as it's not like two halves of the same thing. You know, like you can't cut it in half, take it over there, and then come back at the other half half. That's not okay. You can take the halves of two different figs. And some, I mean, it just, it, it gets into this kind of level of minutia, and it goes on and on. And in the process, what gets lost? God and the whole point of honoring God, commemorating God's work. And so as you read through the things about Jesus on the Sabbath, um, Keep in mind some of this. There's a, it's very interesting to go back, you know, and read, uh, read some of these things. And they're kind, of, they're kind of odd. I pulled out two rules. 
that you can read on the next two slides. Um, this one has to do with killing vermin. You, know, you probably didn't know that you had to worry about whether or not you were doing work when you kill vermin. So there's eight kinds of vermin mentioned in the law, which I put down there. That's a weasel, rat, any kind of great lizard, gecko, monster lizard, wall lizard, skink, and chameleon. Okay. Now, whoever catches or wounds one of those, you're guilty of breaking the Sabbath. All right. But any other kind of reptile or worm, whoever wounds them is absolved, so that's okay. Whoever catches them but for use is guilty. But if you catch them but not for any good use, then you're okay. If you catch animals now, okay, say you have a pet gecko, like we do in our house, and the pet gecko gets loose. Now, can you catch it on the Sabbath? Because up there it said, you know, you can't. Well, whoever catches animals that are his possession is absolved. So you could catch a pet that gotten away, even if it was a gecko, chameleon, skink, or whatever, or weasel rat. Uh, but whoever wants, I mean, so just... I picked this one because I'll tell you, some of these are really hard to read and and you can't make sense. Here's another one, and then we'll leave this alone. But I wanted to give you a bit of a taste for it. So these are tying knots. Is tying in the knot work? Well, some knots, yes. Some knots, no. The camel knot and the sailor knots are not allowed. That's work. And, in fact, tying them or untying them both constitute work. Now, however, if you can tie a knot and untie it with one hand, that's not work. You know, so, you know, we all laugh because it's funny. But, you know, I just you said you step back and go, OK, what do we do culturally where we make up rules to live by that we are especially rules for other people to live by? Because we're much better at that. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and yet we carve out little areas or, you know, we define it um, anyway. Just but this this is going on. This is what. What's happened, and one of the things that um, had happened is work had been divided into 39 categories. And when the disciples walked through that field and they picked some and they broke the grain and they rubbed in their hands, and they, they, they broke four different categories even. I mean, it wasn't just like one little act. They broke the law in four ways. And so this is not trivial. And I guess as I read it, I think, well, that's trivial and they're being picky. But really, the... I think the better way to understand the passage is it's not trivial because everybody's kind of bought into this same pickiness. It's not really trivial, and, and it's almost, it's radical to do it, and it's more radical to defend it. And so then Jesus has his you know statement of defending it. Now, in the next slide, we've got, um, so what overall has gone wrong? So the Sabbath has become all about not messing up on literally hundreds of rules. And the spiritual richness of the day to mark God's creativity and mercy has been eclipsed by an obsession with rules. Um, and we can see this in the Gospels. Many of the reports of Jesus' healings, I went through and I read a bunch. I, you just do a word search on Sabbath and then just read all the things going on. And what strikes you is how many times Jesus healed on the Sabbath. You know, I mean, you kind of knew he did. Go, go through. I, I didn't go through and count all the times he didn't and all, all the times when he healed, did a healing it wasn't on the Sabbath and the number that were, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like 50-50, you know, and yet it's one day out of seven. So just statistically, there's, there's something significant about doing a healing on the Sabbath. Well, I'll tell you why. There's a rule against that kind of stuff. I couldn't find the exact reference. I found people referencing it. So I didn't find the original. But the general rule is this. Um, you, 
you can um, you can save a life, but you can't make a life better. Okay, so if if the activity is going to keep somebody from dying or from moving closer to death, you can help them on the Sabbath. If they're okay, if they're going to be just you know okay tomorrow, like they're okay today, don't mess with them. Okay, if you get a cut, you can put a bandage on it, but no ointment. I did find that one. It kind of catches the same flavor. You know, you kind of stem it where it is, hold it till tomorrow. It'll wait for tomorrow. Then you put the healing stuff on. All right. So to heal someone who's not about, who's not facing death on the Sabbath goes against the rules for the Sabbath in a very specific way. They could, they, they've already thought it through. They already know that you don't do good things. You can do some good things, but just because it's good doesn't mean it's okay on the Sabbath. It's kind of odd. So anyway, and then there, there's a there's a verse in John. I'm getting too far off on this, and I, I will ring it back in here quickly. Um, John 5:16 says, "Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him." And in Mark 3, the next story after the one we read this morning, he heals the withered man's hand on the Sabbath, and the the uh, Jewish leaders go away and plot with the Herodians to kill him. I mean, that's only in chapter 3 of Mark. You know, so it's like that this is it. Okay. So now we'll uh, move to the verse that is really key in it from this morning, and that's Mark 2.27. This is the one I want you to focus on and really meditate on as you go through the week. That when that Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, all of a sudden, when you know what was going on at the time, to me, that statement just is just full of meaning. And, you know, number one, the Sabbath is there to serve mankind. Um, It's not some sort of punishment or test. And it's not even something that's only good for us in kind of that way that we don't like, you know, like bad tasting medicine or painful workout or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's not good for us in a painful way, it's probably good for us because it's just good for us. And if we get it right, there's grace and blessing. That's my guess. Um, Because the Sabbath was made for mankind by a God that knows man and knows what it takes for him to be fulfilled. And I think it's just part of it. So here's the two truths, I think, that are in that. Um, in that statement. One is that legalism misses the point of Sundays. Now, I'm transferring over to Sundays. And number two, Sundays are a gift from God. And I think if we focus on these two things, our Sundays get better. Our Sundays get more joyful. Our Sundays get more Eden-like. So let's let's look at the first of these. Um, I think from the standpoint of legalism, you know, where we're at culturally, I don't think we uh, we fight this a lot. Um I mean, we can see what happened, obviously, in Jesus' time. That you know, we've moved from commemorative worship to ritualistic to a ritualistic quagmire. And our own experience, I think, as we're growing up, I don't know how. At least for me, I can remember back when I was a kid that um, some of my relatives were pretty legalistic on on what went on on a Sunday. You know, you know, you just kind of watch and wonder, and then you're. You know, my parents take me and say, "Go look. You know, this is what they this is what they think. Just don't make waves. Just go along with it. You know, 
you know, I'm like, okay, I don't know. It, it, it didn't do anything for me, but it gives you kind of this weird taste of what's the point. All right. Um, there's a tendency then, because a lot of the things were anti-fun, you know, so there's a tendency then to get to be killjoys. And I don't think God wants us to be killjoys on Sundays. You know, work is a killjoy sometimes, so there's no sense making time off a killjoy. Um, and then there's a tendency to make rules for others. Um, there's a great quote from Dorothy Sayers on the next slide here. Uh, it says, Christian churches have transferred the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday and feeling that the original commandment, thou shalt not work, was rather half-hearted, have added to it the new commandment, thou shalt not play. You know, and I just, I kind of think, you know, I think we've got to be real careful that as we, when we look at things that are godly, we don't forget that play's probably okay. All right. Martin Luther was a little sterner on this. Uh, his comment on Sundays and, and holidays that, you know, where you had to do certain things is that if anywhere the day is made holy for the mere day's sake, then I order you to do work on it, to ride on it, to feast on it, to do anything to remove this reproach from Christian liberty. So those are sort of the, the two quotes from from Christians from the ages, you know, to steer clear of the legalism. Um, On to the more positive thing. The second truth is that Sundays are a good gift from God. You know, so what is it? This this day of rest, it seems better than endless work. I mean, how can can it be bad to to be taking a day off? I guess this is bad for a workaholic. You know, it's going to be tough. Um, The other six days are tough for the couch potato, you know. But... Um, you know, as we mentioned before, the fact that this is a day off from work is important because the six days of work, are, are we're thankful for that and we're blessed by that and we're thankful for and blessed by the day of rest. You know, and then how do we think of these Sundays? Do we think of them as a gift from God or as some sort of obligatory gift from us back to him? I don't know. Sometimes I think, as I look back, sometimes I feel like going to church is my gift to God somehow. And um, I think that's an, uh, maybe I'm alone in that, but I think that's a mentality that can be created. And that's not the point. That's not the point. You know, I, I wonder if, if Sunday church attendance isn't um, America's version of asceticism. I mean, we, we can't get very bad. We can't do stuff that hurts very much, but maybe we can do that. Um, you know, what if we really believe that this was for mankind? Wouldn't you just relish and these, savor these Sundays more if you really thought they were for you and for your good and your enjoyment? Um, there's things to think about. All right, a couple of quick barriers to savoring Sundays, then I have one long slide, then I'm going to cruise to the end. Um, legalism is a barrier to savoring your Sunday. You know, it takes what's good and it, it just, we, we've seen how it, it distorts it. And it's got a bad, Jesus was fighting it at his time, and we have, a, we have a tradition of it within Christianity also. But neglect, and but I don't think right now that's what our culture struggles with. I think the next one is the one our culture struggles with. And that is neglect and busyness. And that is busyness with a Y. My daughter told me that I misspelled this. But it's busyness, not business. Um, you know, it just shows how how infrequent we write the word busyness. 
even before she pointed out, the only reason I knew I'd spelt it correctly, because usually she's right, if I, is that I had looked it up, because when I first wrote it, I thought, that doesn't look right. So I had to check it out. I don't think I ever write the word busyness, because I don't just, you know, it's just not a thing we think about or worry about. Anyway, well, you know, we, we, busyness is a, is, is a tough one. The neglect part maybe or is really driven, I think, by busyness. And I think if we neglect Sundays a little bit, it's probably because we're reacting to legalism or we just really haven't thought about it much. So let's think about it a little. Let's look at the 90-minute Sunday. The next slide, I've got my, this is my 90-minute Sunday. I think we can compress Sunday into 90 minutes. You know, we go to church, we keep the day holy, that gets us out in 90 minutes and the rest of the day is open to do, you know, whatever the rest of the weekend's open to do for us. So we're in good shape. We've met our obligation. We gave God Sunday morning and off we go. So what might a 90-minute Sunday look like at, here at our church? All right, so you pull into the parking lot at 10. You're on time. <laughs> you enter the service. You enter the service at 10.05. Um, there's still some people behind you. The service goes along, ends at 11.25. You leave at 11.30. It's 90 minutes. Bam, bam. You're good. You're free. Free and clear. Okay. Um, this is my long slide, the next one. These are my personal observations about Sunday worship over the last couple of years. How I affect, how I arrive at church affects how my worship time is. Um, and I'm not talking about being on time or not. Here, here's the story. Our, our family tries to be on time. But you know what? It's not being on time. It's what did it take to be on time? You know? <laughs> if... If we're all running around like, you know, just wild men, and, well, I'm the only wild man, so wild man and wild females in the house trying to get out the door in time to get here by five up, you, you, you come and you're, you're hairy. Is that, that's not how you walk into worship. Well, I mean, it could be, but I mean, it's, it's not the ideal way to walk into worship, right? So something happened a couple years back. I found out that if I bribed my daughters with a trip to Peaberries, I could get them ready an hour early. <laughs> so, and first of all, it was just so that we could get coffee. This was the point. So we would go, we would then get a coffee. This was usually when, you know, mom's singing or something. So we'd go get coffee at Peaberries, have a leisurely cup of coffee, come rolling in still 15 minutes early. Yeah, it's good. Much better than, you know, harried and trying not to speed and, you know, get here. And, I, and after doing this a few times, I thought, you know, I kind of like this. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an added benefit. It's not just the coffee. It's coming to church unharried early and just being here. And that's one of the things that kind of switched, I think, and made, helped make Sundays, Sunday mornings better for me. Um. How, and then the second bullet here, which is how much time I allow for worship. Okay, this is a, I mean, this is just, I don't know how you are. I look at my watch all the time. It's just all the way through the week I look at my watch, you know, and now, now I bill by the, you know, 15-minute segment, so I'm looking at my watch. I mean, I am a watch watcher. And I was reading this book, and it talks about this monk from the U.S., Benedictine monk who goes over and spends time in Coptic monasteries with the Christians in Egypt, and he's over there. And one time, and, and he doesn't know Cop, he doesn't know Copt, Coptic, so he can't understand the mass that they're doing, but he participates. And then 
he goes and has his own mass. So one time some of the uh, Coptic monks who don't know Latin wanted to do, go and do one of his masses with him. He said, oh, sure, you know. So he said, up here, and he's thinking to himself, you know what, these guys are used to long masses. I better, you know, put everything together. So he put everything he could think of. He rolled in stuff from um, Pentecost and from, um, from, from like three different holidays. He managed to fill up an hour and 45 minutes. And afterwards, they, were, they said, oh, that was very beautiful, very beautiful. And, what, and then the one monk says, you know, it was beautiful, but I was just starting to get into the spirit of it when it ended. You know, and I read this, and then his next statement in there, he talks about how, you know, people back in the States are just tied to their watches so they miss out on the enjoyment of worship. And as I was reading that, I thought, wow, that's, I don't think I do that, but maybe I do. So next time I come to church and I go, okay, I'm not going to look at my watch. That lasted five minutes. <laughs> and I'm not even, it's not even like I'm, you know, i got to stopwatch time and guy or something. I just want to know what time it is. You know, and so that, well, I'm not going to do that again. And you go another five minutes and bam, you're there again. I mean, I don't know. This is just so finally I found that to try and break myself of this habit, I had to put my watch in my pocket because otherwise it's just, you know, you do that a couple times out of habit. And, and now I can get now I get to the point where I have no idea because, look, we, I know that the whole thing will be over by, you know, 1130 at the latest. Right. So what do I care if it's 11.20 or 11.30? I don't know. I don't know how long. I had to ask Eileen last night, how long does this guy preach? I don't even know. Because I've actually gotten good at not knowing. And I tell you, it just opens up because it doesn't matter. And if you can break free of it, it's actually, it is freeing. And it keeps you from being distracted. Because otherwise, you're distracted. You're just looking for ways to make it good. Anticipation and preparation. You know, we anticipate things. And when you do anticipate things, you prepare for them. Aren't they always better? And isn't always that anticipation part of the value of any end thing? How about a vacation? You plan a vacation. I don't know about you. I love planning the vacation. That's almost as good as the execution. Um, and you look in, in, in Christianity, you know, we've got Advent before Christmas. We've got Lent before Easter. The Orthodox tradition has pre-Lent before Lent. I mean, they, they got the preparation for the preparation for the event. I mean, it's, there, there's, there's value to it. And, and by preparation, what do we mean? I'll tell you what's been interesting. I was talking to Matt the other night and, um, about some of these things. And it dawned on me that we, we switched our small group Bible study to Saturday nights for scheduling reasons. And I've found that having a Saturday night, our Saturday night Bible study turns Sunday mornings into a real, it, it's another thing. It just makes Sunday morning so much neater because I've been doing it. I've been studying Sunday night. I've been with people from church. You say goodbye. The next thing you know, you're saying hello to them at church and you're just picking up. And, it, and then there's sometimes there's elements of what you were just studying that come through. I don't, I don't know. It just it struck me that this whole business of starting the night before or at least a couple hours before in the morning can really make your experience of Sunday mornings more God-centered and less distracted. And that's, that's the end game. Because we want, to, we want to praise God and we want God to work on us. All right, that was my long one. We're going to have to pump here because I promised I wouldn't take very long and I've taken much longer. So what's an expanded Sunday look like? Um, 150 minutes. All right, so we've only added 60. And look what we get to do now. We can lessen the carryover from that busyness um, and it might look like, hey, what if you got here at quarter to ten? 
leisurely, stay for sermon discussion groups and leisurely leave. Hey, how would that feel? You know, I think it'd be more like the, that the service was, a, was something you were naturally here for rather than something that got inserted on your weekend. I think that's the point. How do we move from the service being something that's just inserted into the weekend to something that's the purpose for being here on Sunday morning? All right. Because at the end of the day, why, what's the problem with this busyness? Well, it's a distraction, and distractions take away from us being um, likely to, ex- to, to experience joy while we're here, is what I think. So one quick uh, table slide here, and then I'm done. Uh, this one. All right, so is it a gourmet meal or is it fast food? You know the answer, right? We don't really even have to go through this, but look at the difference. A gourmet meal. Look, you plan it out. A fast food... Last-minute fill-in. On a gourmet meal, you anticipate all the possibilities. You know, fast food is just, hey, how many patties of meat do I supersize? (laughs) You know? For a gourmet meal, you're relaxed. Fast food, it's snarf and run. Um, You're focused on the experience um, rather than being on the way to somewhere else. Um, The event takes hours to it being not even an event. The food reflects the preparer in a gourmet meal, whereas a fast food, the preparer is an anonymous cog. Um, and I don't think we want to be, nobody in here wants to be treating God as an anonymous cog. I mean, the goal, so the model is, you know, let's treat our Sunday mornings as a, as a gourmet meal, not as a trip through the drive-thru. Um, and we can just bounce to the conclusion slide, which is two away. Um, So once again, here's where we started. Sundays are a gift from God. They're meant to be fun, relaxed, God-honoring, and Eden-like. We've got to beat the neglect and busyness because those are the ones that are likely to be hard for us to overcome. And some of the ways to do that is to relax, to avoid worry, and make an effort to be joyful. Our goal is to grow closer to God, and Sundays are a great opportunity for that. So remember... On the last slide here, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and that Sunday is a time to avoid the busyness of the rest of the week. And we don't, we don't make rules and burden the thing. We're trying to get the purpose. And I, 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 uh, I paraphrased or modified a Ben Franklin quote on the next slide. Um, and it's that Sunday is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. And I think that does summarize... Um, or paraphrase even what uh, what Jesus was saying about the Sabbath being made for man rather than man for the Sabbath.